So we have talked for half an hour about computers. Computers with cameras in them, so it counts. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it counts. true. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the Apple Watch and the Apple TV, but, you know, who's counting? Meh. Let's talk about cameras with computers in them. Exactly. Now. exactly. Smart. Oh, <laughs> that might be an episode title right there. So did you guys actually get to follow along with the Apple announcement? Because I was in a meeting and I was kind of fidgeting and trying to <laughs> sneak a peek every now and then. So I'm actually out of the loop a little bit. I started watching uh, late, but I once I started, I watched all the way through the end. All right. So why don't you guys do a recap for me? Pretend I haven't heard anything. Alvaro, you go ahead. I, no, no, I'm not feeling great. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is sick, so we're going to make him talk. All right. Let me, let me. Let me try. Let me try. Yeah, you can, I, I sympathize with Josh's poor uh, throat. Okay, so, um, well, like I said, I started watching late, so I, I didn't catch the beginning, but it was all a bunch of recap, right? Not a really whole lot happened for what it's worth. I think they just bragged about their corporate responsibility initiatives, which does matter, like, big time. I don't want anybody being having access to my iPhone on a daily basis right. because of some hack they've made. So that, that FBI thing was big. But they, did they specifically mention the FBI case? Yeah, like right head on, basically. Wow. I, I, you see, I missed that. I, the, I tuned in by the time they were talking about the environment and, you know, being responsible and all that. Okay. Yeah. And then th before that, they were talking about Liam, the robot, which recycles iPhones. It was really actually super cool, to be entirely honest. I'd like to have a robot like that. But not for recycling iPhone purposes. <laughs> Who wouldn't, right? <laughs> you know, to vacuum the house or whatever. So that was, and then it was the environment. So take it away, Alvaro. Right. So uh, basically they announced pretty much everything that all the rumors were saying they would. And I think they started with the Apple Watch and they announced new bands for the Apple Watch. I had heard uh, some rumors talking about uh, that they were they were going to release some NATO-styled bands and uh, if, if you don't know what that is, there's supposed to be this sort of nylon meshy kind of thing. Right. And usually they have uh, like a striped pattern in a couple colors. And they are very popular. They're very fashionable right now. But the ones I, that Apple showed on the slides during the keynote were all uh, like just one color each band. Uh, is that correct? I don't remember seeing multicolor, these, these nylon thingy. In, in more than one color in the same band, which is weird because that's how every NATO band that I've ever seen uh, before today looks like. Yeah, they look kind of odd, to be honest with you. I, I thought, I didn't know what I was looking at exactly. I've never liked them that much, really. I'm not against the way that they look, at least in photos. I'm, I'm more interested to find out what they actually feel like on the wrist because that's where um, I've been surprised by the official Apple bands in general is that um, even if aesthetically I was a little uncertain about how I felt. Um, usually once I tried one on, I was thinking like, oh, this is, you know, surprisingly comfortable. This is not, uh, uh, you know, even if aesthetically I was a little on the fence, they turn out to be, especially the sport band. I don't know how you guys feel about the sport band, but even though that's the cheapest and so on, it's by far my favorite comfort wise, I think. Yeah. Do you have a watch, Marius? Yeah, I do. You do? I, do. I don't. Me neither. So, so I've never actually tried any of them. Oh, okay. No, but I've tried them on, uh, you know, in the local Apple store, and I agree the the sport bands look, feel fantastic, and that's because they are made of fluoroelastomer, not plastic, which is completely different. Yeah, well, whatever it is, <laughs> it's comfortable. <laughs> okay, see, I was I was hoping for new watch faces. I mean, bands, that's that's nice, but what I want is new watch faces because like software faces. Yeah, like software faces. I mean, it's okay. it's. You know, they, they have a good selection of them and they're decently customizable. And I've got, you know, a few favorite setups that I switch between. But, I, you know, I, I kind of want more. And the fact that they haven't allowed third-party developers to um, build any and things like that, it just feels a little bit um, constrained compared to what the other smartwatch um, competitors are doing, really. I mean, even, even Samsung's Gear S2, uh, which is kind of a a cut down experience even compared to Android Wear, they still have a massive ecosystem of watch faces that you can um, download and, and 
customized and things like that. So it's just, it's strange. I understand the perspective of Apple wanting to control the, uh, the look right. know, of the watches and keep it, you know, within their desired parameters and so on. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I was hoping for some more. Right. I think third-party watch faces are inevitable, like the App Store was on the original iPhone. This is, by popular demand, it's something they're going to have to implement at some point. Probably. And uh, it's it's funny. I was going to say that it didn't really strike me as something, as an odd omission, because I thought this was more of a hardware-focused event than a software-focused event. But then I realized, I remembered that they announced a bunch of new features for the Apple TV, which is pretty much all software. So oh, there's not a, right. a reason that, that there's no reason that they couldn't have uh, announced new watch faces in this event. I think they're just saving them for maybe WWDC this year or I don't know. I just I just don't think they wanted to spend that much time on Apple Watch today for some reason. Nothing really that important on the TV front though, hey. Yeah, basically Siri can search a, a bunch of new uh, of new channels and, and apps and so on, but I don't think... Forget that. Yeah. You can dictate passwords and things like that. It, you don't have to use the stupid on-screen keyboard to search and, and input stuff anymore. So from my perspective, it's huge because that that was like the biggest frustration with the uh, with the Apple TV. Okay. I just hate the new remote, man. Yeah. But anyway, talk about uh, talk about the iPad because that's the, that's the part that's relevant, I think, to uh, a photography. Hold on, hold on, but let's... Let's go in, in order. I think the iPhone was announced first, right? Oh, was it? Okay. All right. Let's do iPhone. <laughs> okay. So, uh, personally, I, I admit I'm biased here because I absolutely love the design of the iPhone 5 and 5S. And I couldn't be happier that they, they've decided to keep it around for one more year at least. Uh, it's by far the, personally, the most beautiful iPhone out of all of them for me. Uh, but also the most comfortable to hold. Uh, I, I think it's because... I'm not a super tall guy and I have uh, normal sized hands. So for me, the plus is was never going to be an option. And the regular 6 and 6S, I think they are, they are nice. I, I own a 6S right now and I'm happy with it. I probably won't, uh, won't try to sell mine in order to get the new SE. But if I were buying from scratch, uh, I think I would go for the SE instead of the 6. I just like that form factor a lot more. So nice little um, side note on the SE is that it maintains the flat surface on the outside, like it's a square rectangle instead of rounded, meaning that you can like stand it up on its edge for nice product shots. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's finding, I, I have to shoot hero images for the sweet setup every now and then. And it, I, they're so hard because I always have to hold it in, a, in my hand, the new, the 6S and the 6S Plus. So nice. I think the rounded edges are something that sounds very well in theory. Yeah, I like the square edges. But once you see it and, and use it on, a, on an actual product, they are not really practical. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I don't know. I mean, they're more comfortable in day-to-day -day use, I find, than the sharper edges. And I think that people are probably holding their phones more often than they are standing them up for product shots. So well, from Most likely. But is it really that big of a difference? Like, yeah, I mean, I I don't think so. I, I think a lot of it is down to aesthetics um, ultimately. But it's it's still it's something that um, now having. I mean, I loved my 5s. I think that was one of my favorite iPhones ever. So I'm I'm with you guys as far as being happy that that design is is being maintained. Um, but I, I don't think that it's necessarily better having those uh, those sharper edges. Uh, it is a little less slippery, and I think that's a big factor for a lot of people. But on the other hand, almost everyone that I know... Especially for those that have cracked the screen at least once. Yeah, but see, that's what yeah. I—that's that's my thinking, is that most people that I know who have an iPhone keep it in a case, so it's almost a moot point anyway. Um, yeah, but most cases don't protect your screen, do they? They just protect the back of the phone, which is ironically the metal part anyway. Well, see, I have very, uh, the, most of the friends that I have who put them in cases, put them in like serious cases, like the right. life proof ones or the otter box or whatever. So they do protect the screen. Throw it against a brick wall kind of case. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, personally speaking, I never use cases. I, at the most, I use sleeves. Me neither. And I'm, I'm very fond of the leather Senna sleeves for both the five and five S and now the sixes. So right. I, I, I've used those for a few years already. And I like the fact that they covered the screen. So if you, you know, uh, drop the phone accidentally 
from a not very high, <laughs> not very tall height, or if you have it in your pocket with your keys or whatever, you know you're not going to scratch the screen, which for me is the most important element of the phone. I don't yeah. mind scratching the aluminum necessarily. I don't, I don't mind it that much. But I would like to keep the screen, you know, as nice as possible. I don't think I've ever tried a sleeve. I've always been like, you know, th either those really thin cases that just protect the back or I've had the, um, like right now I've got it in one of the official Apple um, leather cases, which I love the feel of those. And there's enough of a lip that it, it kind of, the screen is not touching the table when you put it down uh, face down, which to me is is kind of the most important thing. I've, I don't really drop phones ever, so for me, it's more about preventing uh, scratches of the glass when I'm putting it on the table and things like that. Exactly. So, what do they got in that camera with the SE? Like, not to, to push us through or or anything, but like, well, I'm curious about the camera. I'm surprised that they're able to do it without the big bump. Well, it's a thicker phone, right? It's slightly so, yeah. But also, the new iPads are thicker, I think, than the iPhone 6s, and they still have the camera bump so that's weird right uh, i don't know what it is about about that design that you know that uh soft corner design that requires the bump uh it might be the thickness it might well be the thickness i'm i'm not sure and i don't think anybody really knows other than you know apple engineers and, and the people who designed it yeah we'll see when the iFixit guys tear it apart Right. My guess would be that it's the speakers on the case of the iPad. Like it's thinness for the phones, but for the iPads, I think it's because of the speaker that they had to, uh, like they didn't have enough room between battery and the four speakers to uh, to keep the camera within the housing. So that would be my guess, but we'll see. Yeah, but it's odd because uh, the, the camera bump has been fairly criticized on, you know, blogger circles and, and even Gruber on Darren Fireball has complained about it consistently. It's true, but those are bloggers, right? And Apple's got the numbers, so... <laughs> I know, I know, but they do have some influence, uh, you know, to some extent. And to see that they uh, they released a new phone and a new tablet, and one of them has the bump and the other one doesn't, that's odd for me. And the one that has to be laid flat on the table has the bump? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right, it, but... it doesn't make any sense, really, but... Yeah. I guess it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I have never had any problems with the bump on my iPhone 6s, and I use it without a case, and occasionally I just leave it on the desk, and uh, I trust the, I think it's sapphire crystal or something. It is, yeah. I trust the, the, the material to be hard enough to withstand, uh, you know, most uh, scratches. So, yeah, I, so far I haven't had any issues. So The nice thing, though, is that from what I've read, they brought in the full, basically it's the camera from the 6S line. So you're not compromising on image quality for your photography by buying the smaller size. I mean, I assume you you do lose out on the optical image stabilization, but that's the same case with the standard 6S anyway. So that's not really news to anyone. Can you imagine if the 5S, oh, I mean, if the SE oh. had the optical image stabilization? <laughs> that would be something. That right. would be something. <laughs> and another omission that I've seen mentioned on Twitter, and take this with a grain of salt because I haven't had time to verify it, is that the new iPhone doesn't have 3D touch, I think they're calling it on the phone. And that's a bummer. Yeah. Because that's perhaps the only, uh, you know, headlining feature of the new uh, iPhone generation that's missing from this phone. Yeah, it's true. What I'm actually curious about is whether they put in the new Touch ID sensor or if it's the original one. Right. Because I, I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere. You know, obviously it has Touch ID, uh, Touch ID, but I'm not sure if it's the super quick 6S generation one right. um, or the previous one. Well, I guess we'll find out. At that cost, they might have. That might be one of the things that they held back. Um, and it wouldn't be. A, I mean, for me, I don't think that's a deal breaker. Uh, I don't. I don't see it as something because even the original was quite. Um, zippy. So I don't see it as like, oh no, I'm not going to buy it because of that. Um, to me, the single biggest concern and, and the one the, th the one thing that I was hoping, hoping to, uh, to see mentioned during the keynote was the battery life of the new phone. Because I think that's the biggest problem with the 5S. Uh, I, I used mine for a couple of years and throughout, uh, by the end of its life, battery life was getting pretty bad already. I, I had to charge the yeah. phone at 5 p.m. almost every day, even if I barely use the phone, you know. So I think that design was limited in in regards to performance and battery capacity. You know, that relationship was too skewed too far in favor of performance and battery life suffered quite a bit. And I wonder if with the new chips, they've managed to sort of get a better compromise between the two. 
I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah. Well, they definitely have. I mean, if you look at the um, if you look at the battery, uh, not capacity, but the actual like power draw metrics for the newer chips, um, they've they've made some serious strides in efficiency. Um, as the chips have gotten more powerful, and now there's enough of a generational gap between whatever chip was in the A, uh, in the um, 5S versus what's in the SE, uh, the A9, that I think uh, I think there's probably reasonable battery life in there, especially since the screen is smaller, right? It's smaller than the 6S. I'm looking at the tech specs here. The tech specs actually have the SE having a superior battery life to the 6S. Awesome. Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me. 12, 12 hours on 3G versus 10 on the 6S. 12, 13 on LTE versus 10 on the 6S. Better video playback. Same talk time, but... So yeah, like it, it's actually the superior option according to, to their, you know supposed specifications that's um, i'm glad to know that because they didn't mention it on the keynote and i was a little bit concerned about that but yeah that's he did i think he talked about it but he glazed over it he didn't compare it to anything else either so right. it's hard to know exactly yeah well it's the screen right i mean i, I think that's right. that's always the biggest power draw for a smartphone regardless of of anything else so when you've got a smaller screen or a less pixel dense screen then you're you're fine right um so that's cool, though. I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing one um, in person and and experiencing like the speed of a 6s, but in that form factor. I think that's quite an appealing thing. And I know that at least in my family, there are several people who have essentially been waiting for this phone, right? I mean, they they sort of begrudgingly ended up with a 6s or something like that. But really, this is the iPhone that they were hoping to get. So it'll be interesting to see how many people make a switch now. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait for the impending iPhone SE battery case. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, technically, all of all of the 5S battery cases should fit, right? Or you mean an Apple-made one? I mean an Apple-made one, oh, you okay. know, with the little hump, you know. The... I, I think Josh wants the hump back on the phone. Turtle case. <laughs> I want the hump back. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys about the new iPhone. Do you think uh, they will continue to update these form factor maybe even with the new design and so on, uh, yearly at this uh, sort of time frame? Or do you think we'll see updates alongside the new iPhone 7 whenever that is announced? I mean, the, the, the point that I want to dive into is, uh, does Apple consider it a mistake not releasing this phone when they release the success? Or, or are they just trying to get sort of a new iPhone every six months, you know, something to announce every six months? There's what I would hope, and then there's probably what will happen. Okay. So I would hope that they would they would just kind of make a uniform line. This phone is four inches. This one is five inches. This one is six inches, or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I would hope for. But I I think that there is too much pressure with Samsung releasing their phones at this time of year. Um, they're just trying to. I don't know, from a business standpoint, I think the seasonality of their business is heavily skewed towards that September time frame, and they need to even it out somehow. So I I doubt it. Right. My concern is that they're, or not my concern, but my theory is that they are trying to drive the average selling price up. And so I would guess that the margin on the cheaper phone is, uh, you know, substantially smaller, the profit margin, I mean... So by not announcing the smaller model at the same time as the new iPhone, they just give a six-month window for the new iPhone and the more expensive models to sell well, and then they release the smaller one, and it kind of hurts their bottom line a little bit less that way. That's my assumption, and it may be completely wrong, but that's the only reason I could find to ex explain why they would sort of divide the, the announcements. Marius, any theories? I think I think you're absolutely correct, uh, Alvaro, and I think that's that's one uh, important factor to keep in mind is that um, for for Apple it makes sense to have these things staggered a little bit, even from even the fact that there isn't like they're not feature uh, uh, equivalent right now. I think they like having a bit of a gap between their lowest end model, like the budget iPhone and the other two because ultimately like alvaro's suggesting they're trying to push us towards you know the quote unquote good ones the the big ones uh you know the the six s's in this case um and right now it just so happens that um the five se is functionally equivalent but eventually you know once the the iphone 7 land 
that gap is going to widen again. And I think that's the ideal structure for Apple, you know, having their, their flagships and you get a choice of size and then one generation behind technologically is your small option, your budget option, which they're probably going to make back whatever difference in profit margin um, through sheer volume. Cause I think they're going to sell more of them. I think there are a lot of people who are holding out for a smaller iPhone, especially since this rumor has been cooking for probably longer than a year now. Um, and, and I think that's what they're banking on is, is that they're going to make up whatever they lose in sheer profit because of the values from just so many people buying it. And especially not so much here necessarily, but around the world where they're trying to, um, take back a little bit of the market share that Android has, um, established be, you know, just by being a lower cost handset maker or handset, uh, ecosystem in general. Um, this is, this is kind of their, their play for that. And I think, uh, I think it'll be successful personally. Yeah, me too. Me too. And it wouldn't surprise me if they only update this phone every couple of years as opposed to yearly. Yeah. Uh, and that would be fine. Like, again, I, I don't think, I don't think for their target audience that that's really going to make a big difference to sales. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So iPad, two big photography parts on the iPad front. Right. Do you want to go into it all, bro? Well, I think you're the better one to go into that because I didn't really pay that much attention to the iPad announcement. Okay. I was only fixated on the raw file support and they didn't announce anything, so I just kind of... Oh, well, yeah, that's where I was going to go, so foreshadow. (laughs) Um, So essentially, they announced a 9.7-inch iPad Pro, which is like the identical twin to the current iPad Pro, but smaller. Um, But there are a few... There are a few small changes uh, between or differences between the two, like A being screen size, um, but B the there's a first off the 9.7 inch has a better camera, far and away a better camera. Um, I'm just gonna go to the specs page here and see if I can find it. But long story short, uh, it's a 12 megapixel shooter on the back side and a five megapixel shooter on the front side. Whereas the current iPad Pro, Marius, any help here? I'm pretty sure it's got the old uh, eight megapixel sensor on the back and a like 1.2 on the front or something like that. It's it's not great, and that to me that was actually the one of the only disappointments that I've got with my uh, you know large size iPad Pro is that the front facing camera, the you know the FaceTime camera, um, is is really quite poor, um, especially because you're able, like, you know, on a, on a smaller iPad screen, I think it's forgivable, but because you're able to see yourself at this like gigantic resolution, um, it doesn't make a great impression. Um, you know, seeing this grainy, like nineties style (laughs) version of yourself. It's like a, it's a device built for FaceTime. Uh, It's so good for FaceTime. So I'm surprised that the front camera is so poor. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess they had to leave something to to update for next generation, but oh, that would right, be right. It, that was one thing that I was happy that they actually changed on uh, on this standard size Pro. Uh, which, by the way, it's a little confusing now that they didn't actually give it a distinct name, right? Because now when we say iPad Pro, it's like the small one or the big one. Kind of, kind of like the MacBook Pros, though. Yeah, so it's, it's not really surprising. That's true. I guess so. Um, so from there, they, uh, they, it also gets live photos. I love live photos. So that's a good call there. Uh, it gets live photos. It gets still no 3d touch though. No, right. no. I mean, that would kind of make sense though. I, if, cause that would give every reason for us 12 ventures to jump over to the smaller one again. Right. I think what I'm, um, I, I don't remember where I read this, but someone proposed that one way they could do this, um, or like bring 3D touch to the existing iPad Pro as well, is actually implement it through the pencil for um, for the iPad Pro line, right? So instead of having to worry about taking the 3D touch technology and expanding it to these huge um, screens, which I think technologically for them is it's like it's a manufacturing problem. Um, I think making it so that pencil pressure made the equivalent effect would be an easier solution. Although from, from their perspective, because they've been a little cagey about letting people use the pencil to navigate um, the interface. And we had that whole mini scandal when they... Thank goodness we're back though. Yeah. So I, I think that they probably wouldn't do it that way, but that would be a solution that would allow them to um, to bring the equivalent functionality. Uh, and obviously iOS is 
the same. So it's it's all there. It's just uh, currently we don't have a, a hardware mechanism to access it. So it's a bit of a shame. I, I would like to see it implemented through the, uh, through, the through the pencil. Yeah, it'll come eventually. I'm I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, it's it, it's. Uh... You can get it next November. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the other, there's this big caveat or caveat, either way, uh, with this, um, camera though. And we had mentioned it earlier, but this, this big camera bump, um, I mean, I think we can dive into this because there's a fair amount of people that are looking at that camera bump and making like, it might be a deal breaker for some people, um, because they don't use the back camera at all. I mean, I, I have yet to shoot a photograph with my iPad pro, uh, not even once I haven't used it ever. And so I, I just don't use it. And to have a camera bump now that's there that I can't lay my iPad flat on the table to play a game or whatever, uh, for me, that's actually, that's a deal breaker. I, I don't like it. Can't have it. Right. I think for most people, it's not going to be a serious issue because you have, uh, luckily for you, you have a, a wide, uh, a, a very rich choice to make when you decide to take a picture. You have a lot of devices you can choose to take it with, right? Right. Yeah, good point. But for many people, even perhaps even most people, the new iPad is going to be the nicer camera that they own, the nicest camera that they have. So whenever they need to take a, a picture, they're going to go for that first, right? And that's uh, that's significant. I don't know how big of an issue it's in, in you know in actual use. I think the bump. Is... Well, I guess if with the smart cover you can curl up the cover, and then it's not a non-issue, right? And right. if you have the smart keyboard, it's a non-issue. So it's just when you lay it flat on its back. And most people use cases with their iPads, I would say. So true enough. Right. Okay. Well, if I'm the odd man out, then I'm I'm the odd man out. But uh, I I don't like it. Uh, and there was some definite uh, disruption on the in the Twitterverse today with all the tech tech nerds complaining about that. So I think it's their their favorite thing to complain about today's Apple. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, camera bumps are uh, that, and whether Tim Cook uh, tucks his shirt in or not. <laughs> There's also antenna lines, but I feel like they didn't have much to whine about on that front today. Right, right. <laughs> but there was there's something about the new iPad Pros that uh, caught my attention. And I think it's even more. I think if it's even more significant than the improved camera, uh, they they put a lot of emphasis on these you know pro oriented features that the new iPad Pro, uh, yeah, <laughs> that 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 it has. The, the new iPad Pro nine point seven inch. Exactly, and uh, among those, I think the most touted was the vastly improved display. Uh, improved because it has a wider color gamut because it has a lower reflectivity it because it has these uh, pretty cool true tone technology i think they called it in which the ipad senses the temperature of the light uh, of the room you're in or, or if you're outside the the ambient light and it adjusts the colors of the screen to match the temperature of the light and that's incredible because that it's effective uh, is effectively like having auto white balance built into your display. That's a that's a huge that's plus. A good analogy. I like that. Right. And if you're a videographer or a photographer and you're editing pictures, that has a huge impact on the way you see the pictures and the way you perceive the colors. It's still not good enough for print. That's a completely different issue. So if you're trying to find a, a color an, an accurate color display for print, this is pretty much the opposite of what you want. But if you're trying to, uh, you know, do your edits for when you're when you want to share your pictures online or whatever, this is actually great. Yeah, to get an idea of how it works, just like go, we'll put a link in the show notes, but just scroll down to where it says see things in the best possible light. There's a little GIF or whatever they got on the right side there and the light changes and the screen changes. So it's it's pretty neat. Right. And if you, if you guys remember the uh, controversy that was that happened uh, a few months ago, maybe, I think it was last year, I'm not entirely sure, with the the picture of the dress. Oh my God, yes, yeah. <laughs> that a lot of people saw it gold and white and a lot of people saw it uh, blue and black. This is what, ha this is what, would ha what was happening there. Uh, it wasn't entirely clear, just looking at the picture, what kind of ambient light uh, dominated the scene. And so uh, if your brain assumed that the dominant light was uh, sort of a yellowish light, you would see the dress in one way. And if you thought, if your brain thought that the dominant light was blue, you would see the 
the dress uh, in a different color. And the really freaky thing was that some people actually had uh, actually lived through the process of their brain changing perspective and suddenly seeing the dress a different color than they saw it a minute ago. So this is real. This is the way our brain works. And that's why uh, having the ability to adjust uh, a displace, you know, color temperature is so great. Now, here's here's my thing that I was curious about. And again, since I was in a meeting, I didn't, I don't know if they addressed this in the keynote, but is there a new sensor or an adjusted ambient light sensor on the new Pro that allows them to do this? Yeah. Or is it just a software feature? Because with Night Shift coming in iOS 9.3, which I think is out now, um, like not just to the beta people, wouldn't that same capability be on any device with an ambient light sensor that is uh, running iOS 9.3? I mean, we can already adjust color temperature manually. So I'm, I'm wondering if they made it so that that sensor is sensitive to more than just light like amplitude, if it's, if it's color temperature aware now and it wasn't before? Or is this just one of those things that they're holding for this pro for some reason? It, like it says, advanced four-channel ambient light sensors. So what would the other ones be? Two-channel, one-channel? Probably. Like, could that be what it is? I suppose so. Okay, so then there is a difference in the sensor. All right, that makes more sense. Yeah, they, they implied that it was a new sensor because they announced the two features uh, separately. And they specifically said that the new iPad Pro is capable of sensing the temperature of the light. So, yeah, right. they, okay. they didn't flat out say it. They didn't specifically say that it is a new hardware-based sensor, but they they implied, they sort of implied it, yeah. Okay, cool. Makes sense. So, is there anything else to touch on when it comes to that iPad? Oh, like, yeah. Long story, like, would you, what? Oh, I'm sorry. Take it away. I would like to reflect for a moment on the irony of having the most accurate display ever on an iPad that can only display, uh, you know, uh, JPEGs. Oh, <laughs> of course. I mean, it just seems <laughs> like it's so overdue to have raw file support on iOS. I, I, I don't understand. I, my only explanation is that they're saving it for, for iOS 10. I, I hope so. But it, they really should have, had it, should have implemented it by now. Like one of the biggest announcements of the day was this powered lightning to USB three camera adapter, which has a USB draw, a USB port in it, and you can now plug a lightning cable into it to make it powered. So you can actually plug in like a an audio, uh, like a microphone or um, a hard drive or a keyboard, something that you would want. It, heck, you can even plug in a USB to Ethernet adapter and have a wired connection into your iPad for the first time. But they tout this as the camera adapter for, you know, professional users. Right. But you still have JPEGs. This is odd. I mean, to focus on so much high so many high-end features and so much precision uh, of, you know, of the display, of the color temperature, of the uh, input technology, everything about the iPad Pro is super precise and super accurate and super pro, except this. And I just, I don't understand it. I, but anyway. I think it's got to do with, uh, I think it's got to do with where they're at in the software cycle though, because it's, it's something that they couldn't have just snuck into 9.3, like without hinting at it in the betas, right? I mean, right. We've, we've had a view of 9.3 for quite a while now, and they, it's something like raw support is probably going to be implemented on a fundamental enough level that there's no way they could have surprised us with it today. So I, I do think that that's something we're going to see with iOS 10 at WWDC. And it may be because they're expanding um, the APIs for extensions and for um, sharing and things like that within the OS that would facilitate a more professional workflow uh, as a part of which they would also you know, add in raw support. Um, but I, I think that that's too big for them to sneak in to a point release like this. But it's not like it would be heralded as a, oh, look at this, this is worthwhile to update to iOS 10. I mean, like, this is gonna be one of those like extra features as they, you know, skim over it in the in the keynote, don't you think? Right, but even, even I'm not talking about it from a marketing perspective though. I think from just a purely like technical implementation level, this is not something that they could put into this point release without, like, I, th I think they're laying some foundations for um, bigger changes in iOS 10, and those will allow raw support to fit in more naturally. So I, yes, it's 
disappointing, obviously, but I kind of, I would have been very surprised if we saw um, raw support announced today. I mean, at best, I was expecting that they would say, hey, BTW, uh, now that we've got all these cool pro iPads, all you photographers out there, just be aware that this is coming um, soon. But that's not really their style, right? Like that's not the kind of marketing that they do. So I, I think it's it's now pretty fair to say that if we're going to see raw support, it's going to be at WWDC. And that's that's just it because otherwise it's like here it, it didn't really make a lot of sense like you said it's a hardware focused event and yes the hardware is now even more capable uh and even more um primed for raw support being in the software but the software side is not at the same spot yet so we're delayed i'm definitely hoping we will see it in in wwdc but i'm still not entirely confident about it because at a fundamental level they could have done it so long ago for their own uh, cameras. You know what I'm talking about? Because raw file support is a very tricky tricky thing to implement because it depends uh, on each particular manufacturer uh, raw file specification. So this is also a feature that if they're going to build into the, into the OS, it has a very high chance of leaking because I'm assuming they would need to work with every camera man- camera manufacturer to agree on the you know to conform to their raw specification yeah and so there's a lot of people there and it could leak at any moment right uh if it leaks out it leaks out now just get it in there i don't want to i don't want to (laughs) like lose too much time on this but it is relevant so i will say one more thing which is that this is the other reason I think they have to wait on it. And there have been a lot of rumors that the upgrade cycle for iOS is going to change as of iOS 10. And I think that if they're going to implement raw support, it's actually going to be the same way they have it on OS 10, where there are system level updates to allow compatibility with new um, raw files for different cameras. Like, the, you know, you remember when Aperture was still a thing, you used to get like monthly updates that would add raw support for whatever new camera came out that month. I think they've got to do a similar system for iOS, which means that iOS updates have to happen more frequently, which is currently out of step with their schedule, right? So if they're going to if they're going to implement raw support in the way that I think they're going to implement it, which is to say they will support existing raw formats rather than impose a new raw format on manufacturers. Yeah, that would be a no-go then they have to have a faster update cycle. And that's something that they can't just sort of spring on people in the middle of March as a sort of, you know, one more thing. The whole iOS distribution system is different now. Right. You know, see you, see you this summer. So I, I think I think there are several reasons that justify them waiting on it. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's frustrating. It's annoying. And it's it's especially frustrating for those of us who, you know, bought an iPad Pro with the expectation that this is something that we're going to have access to soon. And, you know, we're still twiddling our thumbs and dreaming of this workflow that one day will be great, but for now is still just halfway there. Right. A dream. Right. I think the, uh, the, the decision to go with JPEG on the early iPhone models made a lot of sense because the cameras were really not that good but i think it's been good enough for a few years already that they could have implemented it a lot earlier but you know better late than never i i, I, I suppose but yeah yeah fingers crossed do we want to get into these adapters at all or do we care yeah we haven't talked about the usb3 thing right versus usb2 does it really matter Here's where I'm confused because this new adapter, um, it, it, the, is it the SD card one that they changed and that they switched to? No, it's the USB 3 or the USB version. Just right. USB one. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I was thinking in my head that they had just updated the SD card reader and that reads at USB 3 speeds on the iPad Pro because we were talking about this last week. Right. They still sell the the USB to, or sorry, the lightning to USB like a reader for a, not reader, how do you say it? Lightning to USB adapter. Uh, adapter. There we go. Yeah. But like this one is powered, so you can plug a lightning cable into it as well. Like the um, the HDMI adapter that you can plug in for, for a TV. Yeah, I love that thing. Me too. Love and you it. can power your microphone on it too, right. which is huge for podcasters like us. Right. So did they say you could put a hard drive in it like for while on the go or? Uh, I'm not sure you could get away with power in that device i think probably an ssd would 
work, but I'm not sure about the mechanical hard drive. Well, even if you could, right, it's more a question of whether or not the software at this point has any, yeah, has any way of addressing that storage. And I think that's the bigger hurdle. I'm pretty sure that you can get, especially these, uh, these external hard drives are not really that power hungry in general. Like you could definitely, some of them are just bus powered. And honestly, I think even the, the standard power draw would be fine. But again, it's just like the iOS looks at it and goes, I don't know what this is. I don't know what to do with it. So too bad for you. Like if, so if you're, tr if you're traveling and you're on a trip, I've always thought the iPad is this like perfect travel computer. And now if you have one of these USB to three, uh, lightning adapter things, you could plug in a, an actual hard drive to back up your photos on the go instead of straight onto the iPad. Right? Like, yeah, unless you have a wireless hard drive, has there been any other way to back up photos to a hard drive from an iPad before this? Not really. No. Unless you use a computer as a sort of host for the hard drive. Yeah, right? I don't think right. so. So this could be the first potential uh, backup solution for on the go. Yeah, potentially. Which to me is a big deal. I, that's huge, actually. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of sucky, though, that they opted to keep it at USB 2 speeds. For the smaller the, uh, one, right. Yeah, that seems unfair. But on the bigger one, like, you know, we that, that one's still got the three. So um, it pumps me up. Yeah, but this is exactly the kind of feature that seems uh, not technology related. That it wasn't because they couldn't make it work at USB three on the on the smaller iPad Pro, but but it was just stubbornness. Yeah, because they chose to. I, I, this is I'm I'm absolutely convinced that is the case. But I of course I don't know for sure. But yeah, I, I, that seems fair. I mean, it, it's not really. Um, it's unfortunate because I, you know, having experienced the speed of transfer for the, uh, for the USB or no, sorry, for the lightning to SD card reader and seen what difference it makes, uh, versus the, the old version, uh, just pulling photos off of a card. Uh, it is a significant difference, especially if we get to the point where this is a device that's integrated into a professional photography workflow and you are pulling, you know, two, 300 photos off a card at a time. The difference in speed is going to mean the difference between it taking five minutes and, you know, 10. Right. So it's not an insignificant difference, uh, which is why it's, uh, I think it's going to be very frustrating, uh, especially if the 9.7 inch form factor is ideal for you. And it would be ideal for a lot of people, I'm thinking. Yeah, especially for a travel. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. Let's talk. A l let's talk about that a little bit more. I'm I'm interested in knowing what you guys think about this. Uh, which one of the two iPad Pros would you say is more appropriate for photographers that need to do some edits while they're shooting? Like I I'm talking about, you need to have a device, a big screen with you to be able to review your images in the studio as you're shooting, as opposed to just editing them when you're at home. I mean, I did this just this weekend, uh, actually, the, this exact context that you're describing. And I think that going with, like, I think the smaller 9.7 inch is actually not big enough for that, especially if you're doing, especially if you're sharing with, so, okay, so I was showing these images to not just myself. I wasn't just checking them for my own benefit. I was, you know, sharing them with a group of people. And it's much easier to gather a group of people and give them a good viewing experience on a 13 inch screen versus a 10 inch screen. You know, it, it doesn't right. sound like a lot, but it makes a difference. And the other thing is the resolution and pixel density uh, of the larger iPad Pro screen means that you've got really quite an expansive canvas to zoom in and check pixel level focus and things like that um, if you need to. So I, like for me, I don't want, I'm not really tempted by the smaller size, uh, certainly not for that perspective. I think right now, um, the only temptation toward the smaller size is actually for uh, tablet use cases, you know, like traditional consumption-based tablet use cases, reading in bed and that kind of stuff that became less comfortable with the uh, larger iPad Pro, but not for professional stuff. Yeah, I, I can't argue. Right. So you don't you don't think the extra uh, portability, you know, the smaller and lighter form factor is a significant enough advantage over the bigger iPad to 
to justify that it being the better device to take with you on a studio shoot, for example? I mean, it depends on the photographer, but on a studio shoot, I'm probably carrying a car's worth of gear with me. You know, even if the camera is a mirrorless kit, I've still got lights. I've still got like, there's just a lot of stuff that goes with you. So the difference between a 10 inch iPad and a 13 inch iPad, when it's still the lightest piece of technology coming with me, uh, it's, you know, I, I don't think that's a significant differentiating factor. Like I'm not, I'm not going to make a decision based on that difference, especially when there are clear and to me more important, uh, advantages that I gain from the added screen size. So yeah, that's, that's where I stand on that. So we've settled that form factor alone is not enough, but how about the improved screen, like the better color accuracy and so on when you're showing the picture to a client being able to show them the proper color, the way they're going to see it whenever they look at the picture. I think that's also uh, quite important. I don't, I don't know if it would be enough to... But is it that different? Oh, yeah. Like, is it... That would almost imply that the old screen is off is bad. Right. They Well, but they do this a lot. Like, they, they when they announce a new device, they tout the new features and sort of that by itself implies that the previous model was not as good by comparison and that's okay i think they're good they're, they're cool with that i go back and forth on this bit because on the one hand yes obviously having a more color accurate screen means that as you're showing these images even if they're you know like pre-editing these images are being shown to clients they're getting a truer representation of what they're going to get on the other hand, um, first of all, I don't know that most clients are going to be able to discern the difference between the color accuracy of what they're seeing on the display. But the other side of it is, realistically, their viewing experience is not going to be on this kind of iPad with a color accurate display. It's going to be on whatever shitty monitor they have at home. It's going to be on their normal phone. It's going to be on Facebook. It's going to be in print, you know, like a totally different context. So I don't like it. It is valuable, but I'm not sure that it's enough. It makes enough of a difference in a professional setting for showcasing the images for editing. It's a totally different, uh, totally different discussion. So for me, if, uh, you know, if I were to change iPads to the smaller size, it would be because that is more accurate for editing, but I have no reason to do that unless we have raw editing, cap- you know, unless I can get a, a proper photo editing workflow going on the iPad. Until then, this is not, you know, it, it, it doesn't apply really. Um, so it's a, it's a convenience. It's something that's very cool. And it's definitely a positive for showing images on a shoot, but it's not enough of one in that context to justify switching, especially again, because the advantages of the sheer size of the screen to me outweigh the specific, you know, technological differences of of this true tone versus not. Right. And anecdotally, this is the first time that we can definitely say that an iOS device is the best display, uh, objectively the best display to do photo editing on. Yes. Because up until now, you could say that the Macs had better panels, better technology, you know, all of that. But this... I think is a game changer and we'll probably see it in when, whenever new Macs are announced because this is the type of technology that Apple loves to sort of expand uh, across all of, all of their products. So I'm, I'm sure we'll see it spread pretty soon. But until that happens, yeah, this, I, this new iPad Pro is the most accurate um, display to do photo editing on. Yeah, which makes it all the more frustrating that you can only do a limited version of photo editing on it. Exactly. And this sort of obviates the need for, uh, you know, display calibrating tools. And there are software tools and hardware tools, and most of them are pretty expensive. Yeah. These uh, calibrators that you use for professional, to, to calibrate displays for professional use, they can cost several hundred dollars easily. And uh, if this works as Apple, you know, implies it does, it could definitely be very very important if you're looking to save some money on that on that front yeah yeah i mean it's don't get me wrong it's a very appealing device but again i think given the current state of the software and given the uh the way that i use an ipad i don't know that it makes sense for me to consider going downward in screen size because that was the you know that was the big advantage really of the of the pro that and the pencil support which is the same either way so yeah and you can 
be assured sort of that whenever the bigger iPad Pro is refreshed, you're going to see all these features come to it. So exactly. it's just a matter of waiting. Exactly. And it, for something like that, I'm I'm willing to wait. Like that's not really the kind of thing that I'm going to make. A... Right. Because if you know you prefer the bigger form factor, I think it would be a mistake to switch to the smaller one just to get that feature or, or that, couple, that couple features. Yeah. Because then whenever the bigger one is re refreshed, you're going to be tempted to... To leap back up. Exactly. And for me, that would be the more, like that would be the bigger temptation is to go back up to the full size. So I, I'm exactly what you said. I'm going to stick to this size until it gets refreshed. And then I can make a decision on whether or not it makes sense to upgrade to its next version um, because at that point they'll probably, I mean, maybe what we'll see is that there's always going to be a slight gap between the full size pro and the normal size pro, um, in which case there'll be even more reason, uh, to wait for the big version whenever they decide to refresh that. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's six months. We'll see. I think it's going to be six months. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, that would be, that would make sense. And it wouldn't be a complete surprise to me if they refreshed both at the same time. But I'm a little bit more skeptical on, on, on that. On that, I I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I would be a little bit more skeptical. I think it's too soon to tell, right? Because these are it's a new yeah. product category essentially. So we've got to see what exactly they're how they're going to um, structure their their update cycle for it. Right, and I think it's worth pointing out that uh, so far the the iPad Pro has failed to reverse the downward trend in iPad sales uh, that we know of. And I think the 10-inch form factor, Apple knows this is by far the most popular form factor for tablets out there. And I think they're trying to make the iPad Pro more of a mainstream, more appealing to mainstream consumers, not just pros. So, uh, it, like you said, it's still too soon to tell whether this will be uh, significant when you look at it historically in, in the iPad life cycle. But I think it, it wouldn't surprise me if the 10-inch iPad uh, turned out to be the more popular model. Yeah. Well, they have kept the Air 2 in the lineup, haven't they? I mean, yes. That, yes, I, they I have. seem to recall the chart being, you know, iPad mini, Air 2. And so I think that um, if anything, this is going to capture the people who are because my feeling with iPads in general is that people are a lot less uh, inclined to upgrade than with some of the other Apple devices because year over year, an iPad retains a lot of, you know, it doesn't really lose a lot of performance capability. It tends to get the features that you want. And for the way that most people use their iPads, it's really not something that requires the latest technology, right? I mean, it, even a, a, an older generation iPad is perfectly capable of playing most games, uh, you know, of, of performing most uh, photo tasks and things like that and reading, right. certainly, which is what a lot of people use them for, watching movies and things like that. It just doesn't, like, why upgrade if that's your... Uh, if that's your main use case. But for the first time, now it's like, okay, for watching movies, you suddenly get four speakers instead of, you know, the the crappy system that was in place before. Now you get, like, the best screen in the entire lineup. Now you get the pencil, um, and you retain the same size, right? So for the first time, I think there's there's going to be enough incentive for the holdouts who are still rocking their, you know, iPad 3s, iPad 4s, the first generation Airs, I think they are now going to see enough of a an update um, to merit their their cash. And it's not cheap, right? I mean, this this Pro, even the smaller Pro is still a fair bit of money, um, but it's certainly more within the tablet price range than, uh, than the Big Pro, which is pushing into laptop territory easily, especially here in Canada where prices are just crazy right now. Right, that's exactly what I wanted to um, to talk about a little bit more, which is that uh, this theory that you just mentioned is uh, very popular among technology writers and so on, that, that people are holding on to their iPads for longer and longer because they don't feel they need to upgrade. But uh, as far as we know, it's still just a theory. And I'm not sure I buy it 100% because that assumes that the iPad market is saturated, which I don't think is the case. If you're seeing a downward, uh, a declining year-over-year -year sales, uh, and you're attributing it to the longer upgrade cycle, that sort of implies that everyone that was going to buy an iPad has already bought one, 
and they're you're just waiting for them to upgrade their existing iPad. I think there's a huge number of people who still haven't bought an iPad. And I think Apple has so far failed to capture their attention. And the fact that they kept the iPad Air 2 strikes me as sort of Apple hedging their bet a little bit. They're, they think it's because they need to offer more, but I don't think they're 100% sure, and that's why they're keeping the Air 2 around. So it'll be interesting to see definitely how the iPad cells evolve. I don't. I think next quarter is still going to be too soon to tell, but definitely by this time next year, we're going to have a much clearer picture of what the real iPad situation is. And all this experimentation that we're seeing with the within the iPad family, it I read it as a little bit of panic on Apple's part because they know that the iPad should be selling a lot better than it is. And they don't know why it isn't. Yeah, and I mean, if they're just trying thing after thing after thing to try to tap into the potential that they're convinced the iPad has, and I think it does have it. I don't know why so far uh, it hasn't materialized, but this is a very interesting, uh, you know, couple of years, and I'm sure it's going to get even more interesting pretty soon. I blame software for it, to be honest with you. I mean, I think the I think keeping the Air 2 in the lineup is smart because now at a lower price point, that might capture the people who are holding out for, like, I want a capable iPad, but I don't want to pay a lot of money for it. Maybe that's going to win a few. Um, but I think that the people who haven't bought one yet because they're not convinced of its utility or its capability, it's that is a very difficult market because you have to say, look, this is... For, for now, it's largely still the case that whatever you can do on an iPad, you can probably do on an iPhone um, to, to a large extent. I mean, there are certain workflows that you can't mimic, but for a lot of people, if they're buying, you know, if they're spending a lot of money on a top-of-the-line iPhone, it's like, okay, what what actual utility is the iPad bringing to me? Yes, it's it might be convenient for certain things. Yes, blah, blah, blah. But is it actually worth that much money to do it? And I think the only, if it were my decision, I would push more heavily on the software side of things than the hardware, because honestly, the, the hardware in the iPad ecosystem right now is incredibly powerful. Like it's it's way overkill for what iOS is actually asking. Um, right. So I think that maybe, and this is, it's unfortunate that they've been slow, but maybe iOS 10 is going to, reveal a little bit of the um, longer term planning that's gone into the the current situation. I, I, I'm hoping that we'll see iOS 10 bringing meaningful improvements to what you can get done on this operating system that will make it obvious why an iPad would be um, a suitable companion to an iPhone or, or even you know significantly better than one for all sorts of different workflows. But until they reach that point with the software, I think that making hardware improvements is really not going to change um, the trend of that graph because it's like there, I don't think that the people who are holding out for um, iPads are holding out because they wanted more powerful hardware or things like that. Like even, even the folks who said they wanted the pencil in the smaller form factor, I don't know that they account for the kinds of numbers that we would need to see um, Apple pulling in to reverse the trend. The hard part here, guys, though, when we talk about business numbers, like we're comparing the iPad to the iPhone here, right? Like that's kind of the... No, not not really. We're just saying that year over year sales are down. But we're saying that the iPad is a failing business. But like it's still bigger than what, like McDonald's, the company, or, or the iPad itself? Like, I mean, I, I don't know if I have much more of a point other than that that we're comparing uh, massive, massive numbers that, anyway. Right, I think the, the iPad started growing a lot faster than the iPhone on its first few years on the market. And it caught everyone by surprise when that growth just stalled. And, and it, not only it stalled, it just, it actually started declining. And it's still, it's been declining for a couple of years already. And it doesn't look like it's going to stop. Uh, at least, I mean, it's going to stop eventually, but we don't know when it's going to stop. And there's a little bit of a an urgency, or at least I, I sense it on, on Apple's part, to kind of try and stop that decline. 
But what you said, Marius, is I think absolutely spot on that it's uh, a big percentage of the problem is due to the software rather than the hardware. The hardware's been good enough for a, a number of years already. And I think the this all goes back to the very birth of the iPad. The iPad as a concept was born uh, was born to do some of the things you typically do with your phone or your laptop, but to do them better because the form factor and the touch technology were better for those tasks. But at its core, it's a device that was dreamed up to do existing tasks better, not to do new tasks that, that were previously impossible to do. And I think that's a first for Apple. They, they did The iPad was not by itself a revolutionary product. It, it was just a better product at doing some of the things we already do. And but people then logically think, well, if I already if I'm already doing these things, why what do I need this for? Right? And of course, people like us who love technology and who are curious about this sort of thing, uh, we we like to buy these things and use them and genuinely enjoy them. But many, many people out there are not as curious and just don't feel the need to spend $500 or more to, uh, to you know, just experiment with that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And honestly, that is a very difficult problem for Apple to solve now. I mean, it, the, the idea of trying to introduce a workflow that is new to the iPad, something that the iPad can do that you can't accomplish on another device and do it better than the equivalents elsewhere. I mean, that that is something that is challenging. And I think that right now the hardware is certainly capable of of powering whatever that experience is. So that's why to me it's it's going to be a software innovation that that pushes them the rest of the way to their goal. And it's a little sad because I, I think in Apple's mind they were um they may be fondest of the iPad right. uh, as, a, as a product line. I think they see the, the future of computing in the iPad more than anywhere else. Um, obviously, the, the smartphone market is it's a bigger market. So yes, of course, the iPhone is always going to be tremendously successful. But I suspect that in their, uh, in their dreams, we would all be moving toward um, an iPad-based workflow. Those of us who, you know, like the, the personal computer, I think, to them is transitioning from a laptop or a desktop or anything like that to an iPad. Um, but again, it's it's the software that's letting them down on that front. Right, and I think the problem here is, and it's a very rare problem for Apple, is that they aim too low when they first designed the device. I just think they should have started uh, with the goal that we're starting to see today. They should have had this in mind from day one. And that would have given them a much clearer message to tell people what the iPad is and and what it's going to become, you know. Yeah, but hindsight is twenty twenty, right? I mean, it's it's easy for us to say now that they should have, but they it was a pioneering device at the time, and I think if they would have pushed too far, um, they wouldn't have gotten the initial traction that they did. So it's it's delicate uh, to to balance, and I'm not sure. I mean, it's impossible for us to know one way or the other, but I don't I don't blame them for. Uh, for the level of ambition that they launched with. I think it was reasonable. And I think that we saw what a more ambitious thing, uh, you know, a more ambitious pitch would look like. I mean, that that is exactly what you're describing is how Microsoft approached the Surface launch, right? They did say, no, this is the hybrid device. This will replace your computer. This will do like they right out of the gate. That was their pitch and the uptake on on the Surface line took a long time to catch up to um, to similar levels. I mean, it was. I mean, it's still not there. But my, my point is, it now I think that is a healthy family of products. But it certainly wasn't early on. Yeah, exactly. I was just uh, reflecting on the difference uh, of the clarity of the message. You know, if you compare the iPhone keynote, where Steve Jobs basically said, "We're going to reinvent the phone. This is going to change everything. This is the best thing we've ever designed and created, and whatever," and then. With the iPad, he just said, uh, yeah, this is better at reading your email and surfing the web and so on. It, it lacked the, yeah, ambition is the word. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I knew this right from the beginning because I didn't. I'm just trying to find an, an explanation to the facts. And the facts that are that the iPad is not selling as well as many people hoped it would. 
and definitely not as well as Apple would like it to be. But yeah. yeah. I think in context, it's it's worth keeping in mind that it's not just the iPad that's not selling very well. It's the tablet market in general has stagnated to a great extent. So it's not, you know, it's not exclusively Apple that's struggling in this space. It's kind of a a pervasive trend that tablets and I think it's because they're, you know, we're slowly seeing, first of all, each tablet is starting to do the same things, right? Like they've all got their keyboard stand thing now and uh, they've all got their split screen multitasking of some sort. Um, there's sort of convergence happening. And uh, meanwhile, we're kind of slowly transitioning them back into a weird, different kind of laptop. Um, so it's almost like there's they're becoming less and less clearly defined as a product category. And so it's becoming more and more difficult from a consumer perspective to figure out what exactly is a tablet and why would I need one? Like, what what is this thing for? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And that's a problem that it's not is not just on Apple's shoulders to solve, um, but it is certainly they're at the forefront of the public uh, mind when it comes to something like that. And so, of course, you you hear more about oh, Apple is doomed because the iPad is not you know doing as well. Where really it's a problem for all of these manufacturers to address. And I think to differing degrees they are. And there's we're seeing some success. I think the pencil is certainly a good move on Apple's part, but um, if the tablet form factor to me is actually one of my favorites. I, I really like it, but I, I see why it is threatened because it is in a very strange place right now. It's in the awkward teenage phase where yeah. we're not quite yeah. sure where it's going to end up. And so it makes it difficult to want to invest in this kind of technology because you're like, well, uh, is this is this a, a smart investment? Am I going to be uh, finding this, you know, useless in a couple of years? In which case, why did I spend, you know, twelve hundred dollars on it? It's it's challenging. Mm-hmm.